Shabbat Shalom. I want to start today with a uh, story of uh, something that happened earlier this week. I was teaching uh, a group of people from the synagogue uh, a class one evening, and uh, the, the topic that I really wanted to teach uh, was the some of the sort of ways in which the Hanukkah story has changed over the years and the way that our observance of it has changed over the years. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about it right now. And so if you were one of the 10 people who was there, uh, then I apologize. You can go to, you know, Kiddush Club or whatever for a minute and you'll come back. Okay. So the... Uh, what? <laughs> well, there'll be schnapps later. Uh, sorry, Rabbi. I'll get you to the schnapps as soon as I can, I promise. Uh, so we... So as we're talking about the Hanukkah story, right, what's the miracle of Hanukkah? I'm asking, what's the miracle of Hanukkah? The oil lasted for eight days. Oh, yeah, okay, great. The oil lasted for eight days. What? Three times a day. All right, you know what? I think I, think I need to rein it in on the, uh, the jokes here, everyone. All right, no. So, <laughs> friends... The miracle of the oil. Exactly right. Right? We, we, the oil, it should have lasted for only one day, but it lasted for eight. Shabbat Shalom. Let's have latkes. If you look in any of the books of the Maccabees, right, that we talk about, that we read the sort of first account of what this is, what are you 100% not going to find anywhere in the books of the Maccabees? Anything talking about oil, exactly right. right. The book of Maccabees is all about, for the most part, what? Fighting, yes. I once did a game at my old synagogue, Book of Maccabees or Game of Thrones. And we read passages and you had to guess what it was from. <laughs> so, what happened then? That we have this whole story about what the original fighting of the story of Hanukkah was. And I'm actually going to read you a little piece of the book of Maccabees right now, and it's going to give us a hint of what was going on. So we read in 2 Maccabees, when the king assented and Jason came to office, he shifted his countrymen over to the Greek way of life. So what, first of all... <laughs> Um, uh, and this to the to the Greek professor in the room. Don't worry, you're you're safe. You're safe. Uh, so who's Jason? He's the new high priest. What do we know about Jason just by knowing his name? Yeah, right. Jason is not a good Hebrew name. It's in fact a lovely Greek name. He went and got that golden fleece, etc., etc. So Jason, the high priest, he's a Jew. He's an Israelite, but he's he is a Hellenizer, and he changes the Israelites and the temple service over to the Greek way of life. Right? What does he do? We, the, the story continues, right? That he, he does some stuff about concessions to the Jews uh, and to the Romans. Uh, I'm sorry, to the, excuse me, the Greeks. Yep, sorry, sorry. That was a Freudian slip there. Uh, and he, he founds a gymnasium in the temple. He puts a gym right there in the shul. 
What's that mean? It's not that he, you know, wanted Peloton bikes outside of the thing. No, it, this was the center of the Hellenic way of life, right? And he's asking people to be a part of that. He changes names. He changes the, the Greek haircut, right? He is a Hellenizer of the temple and its services. So then, who are the Maccabees? What are they against? This Greek way of life. They, they are priests from the Styx, right? They're priests from, from Modain outside of the city, the non-coastal elites or whatever it was for the day. And they say, no, we can't have this Hellenizer in the temple. We can't have a gym in the temple. We need to raise a rebellion against these Hellenizing Jews. And they do. And the, so the original war that we're fighting in the story of Hanukkah is not, as I read to the kids in the ECC yesterday afternoon, a story of Greek hoplites, you know, from Athens coming in and saying that we can't be Jewish anymore and then we rose up. It is a Jew versus Jew civil war of a Hellenizing forces versus those fundamentalists who say that we shouldn't Hellenize. And only once this war gets going do the, do the you know, non-Jewish leaders of the province step in and say, we got to stop this unrest that's going on. And if you're the Greek rulers, what side are you going to jump in on? Probably the Hellenizers who want to you know, change their names and wear your haircut. So that's where we get then the story coming in from there. And this miracle of the military victory is what we uh, immortalize in our tefillah. If you read the Al-Hanisim prayer, right, we are praying that the, we, the, the few were vanquished, the many, again, not because the Greek army was so numerous, but because it was a small faction within the Israelite nation against everybody else. Right? And this is the thing that we celebrate for years and years and years, and it isn't until the Talmud that the story of the oil shows up. And the Talmud starts to bring in this idea of the miracle of the oil. Why? Is it so important for the rabbis in the Talmud happening centuries later in Bavel to switch this miracle over to one of candles? There's a couple of reasons, I think. First of all, because what is completely not resonant to a small group of oppressed people living in diaspora? A military victory. To people who've known no military and don't know any power, it's not an important thing. All, not only that, it's also probably not a great idea for a small group of people hanging out in one small suburb of, you know, ancient Baghdad to once a year get together and be like, remember when we threw off the yoke of the non-Jews around us? You know, yay, let's all celebrate that. Probably isn't good PR for the Jews. But also it is a beautiful diaspora holiday to say that the miracle is that our people were able to light a small light that shone out in the darkness, and even though it was threatened to go out, thank God it did not, and so too we, small groups of Jews, wherever we are in Pumba, Nahardaita, in Madison, Wisconsin, can light these candles wherever we are and know that that light and that flame can continue. 
So it becomes the diaspora way of observing this is to talk about the miracle of the oil. And really, the military victory didn't come back into vogue in Jewish observance of Hanukkah until, take a guess, at the year 1948, exactly, when having a military and having armed resistance and armed Jews and strong Jews was important once again. And there's one other piece, by the way. So, sorry, before I get to that, so the idea that is at the core of Hanukkah is how involved with the non-Jewish world around us should we be? Is it okay for Jews to go study Greek? Is it okay for Jews to go to med school? Is it okay for Jews to live in the world around us in any way, shape, or form other than simply only with Jews, only for Jews, only doing Jewish things. And we come to something that is both ironic and perhaps somewhat uncomfortable when we think about this, because I imagine, though I'm not sure, that most of the people in this room would fall not on the Maccabean side of that question. The Maccabees who say, absolutely not, we cannot take anything foreign, any other kind of wisdom into our society whatsoever, and we will fight to make sure that that doesn't happen, is not probably where most of us with our secular degrees and our wonderful, I hope, jobs outside of the Jewish world, other than, you know, me and a couple of us, would fall on this equation. It's also ironic because Hanukkah, of all of the holidays, is one of the most in dialogue with the customs of the non-Jews around us that we have. Even to, by the way, those Hanukkah lights. Because the, the lights show up in the Talmud not only because it's a, it's a more meaningful thing for the diaspora, but also, at least according to um, the scholarship of a number of people, it's also because Hanukkah happened to fall at the same time as an ancient Zoroastrian fire festival that involved taking flames and lighting candles inside of one's home. And in the ancient world, before electric lights, having candles in your house was super cool. And so the ancient Jews are hanging out, having their Hanukkah celebration, where according to the Talmud, at least, you know, they're giving money for education, which is like, great, money for education, isn't that fun? And the little Jewish boys and girls are coming home, and they're saying, you know, Yazdegerd has, that's an ancient Zoroastrian name, has (laughs) candles in his house. How come we don't get to have candles in our house? And so the Jewish parents said, okay, 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 we're going to have a Hanukkah candles in our house because of the oil that lasted. And so we have been in dialogue with the non-Jews around us about Hanukkah since before ugly Hanukkah sweaters, okay? Because again, Hanukkah grows and adapts. And so now we live in a world where the world around us is full of Christmas lights and Christmas presents and all of these things. And so Hanukkah, not going against what it's about, but we have beautiful lights and presents and things like that. And that is following in the tradition of what observing this holiday has been for over a thousand years. So, I taught all this last Monday night, Tuesday something, I don't remember. And... I thought it was super cool. Isn't it fun? And a couple of people in the class had, had an issue, and to their credit and my gratitude, made a meeting with me and said, we want to talk about the teaching that happened. And they came and sat in my office and said, you know, Rabbi, 
very respectful and kind. Everyone is welcome to do this. If you have anything, an issue with what I'm saying, some of you are penciling in appointments right now. And they said, Rabbi, the world's on fire. The Jewish people are terrified. What's happening in Israel? What's happening all over this place? What's happening in college? And you're talking to us about ancient Zoroastrian fire lamps? Rabbi, come on. We need more than that right now. Rabbi, what are you doing? Uh, I actually believe the phrase was, Rabbi, you're better than that. And I said, I'm really happy about the compliment laden in that comment. And again, I was so thrilled and happy to hear this and to have this conversation because what I said to them and what I'm now saying to all of you is, I understand the state of the world. And I think that this is one of the most important things that we can hear and remember right now. That we have been in dialogue with the non-Jews around us since the diaspora began, and it is the only thing that has kept us alive. Even before the diaspora, when we read the Parsha from this week, right, we are heading down into slavery in Egypt. There is famine in the land, and the only thing that saves the Bnei Yaakov from certain demise is the fact that one of them works for the Egyptian government and has a high position there. And that is what keeps us going. And it has been ever since. And so as we look at a world with unfortunately much more anti-Semitism in it than we thought there was and that there should be, the answer always cannot be to circle the wagons, to cut ourselves off, to just try to turn everyone else away and shut everyone else down. We are not large enough or strong enough to make that work. We have to engage, as our people have for thousands of years, with the world around us to continue to have those conversations, to let the flow of ideas and practice happen, to invite people over to light Hanukkah candles with us, and then they can say, oh, this is what we do at our winter festival. And we say, oh, that's cool. And we can continue to grow in our practice and in our connection to the community around us. That is what is required of us today. And it's not just assimilationism or anything like that. It's we have to be strong in our knowledge of who we are. We have to be strong in our knowledge of our rituals, of our customs, of our beliefs, because that's what we need to hold strongly and clearly as we continue to talk to the world around us. The question I want to pose to you is, do we really need Maccabees right now? I don't think the answer is yes. I don't think we need zealots out fighting. I don't think we need to throw everyone else out. I think that we need not a Maccabee, but we need the rabbinic Jews. We need the Jews who for thousands of years have struggled to be who they are in a world full of non-Jews. And to keep that little candle of our soul afire. To keep it lit so that we can continue to be who we are even as we grow and adapt into the soil in which we find ourselves in any one place. Because that's how our people have been so successful for millennia, and that's how we are going to continue that we can survive and stay through all of this. Not cut others off, but invite others in. I charge us with that as we observe our Hanukkah this year, to proudly place a Hanukkah in the window to say who we are as we invite others to celebrate with us. Shabbat Shalom.